At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You know, a lot of little girls and young women wanted to date Derek Jeter, but I wanted to play like Derek Jeter. That was my focus. I wanted to play like him. I would I would uh, emulate his, his, his uh, jump throws at shortstop. I would try to pump my fist like him if I did something well. Welcome into another episode of Baseball Americas from Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduho. Today's episode is a little different. Today we're talking to the lead editor of Softball America, former Fordham softball standout, Kayla Lombardo. I've wanted to do some episodes featuring some of the staff over at BA, hear their career journeys, and Kayla is the perfect person to start with, mainly off personal interest. I enjoy watching the Women's College World Series when it comes on every year, but otherwise, I'm, I'm a little green when it comes to the world of softball and all the goings on there. So this is a learning episode, along with being a really interesting career story. Kayla's a softball lifer. She walks us through falling in love with the sport at an early age, including a trip to the Softball Little League World Series. We go into her career at Fordham. Kayla's stats as a high school senior are bonkers, like Barry Bonds-type bonkers, and she went from that to being a bench warmer during her first year at Fordham. We go into how that year spurned both her and her team to years of success following. Naturally, we also talk about her transition from player to journalist, her passion for covering women's sports, and her hopes for the sport of softball and softball America. Go check out Softball America. Give them a follow on Twitter. We saw an awesome Women's College World Series this year, and there's so much more to the sport than that. Hope everyone enjoys Kayla stopping by the show, giving us an insight to her career and softball as a whole. Episodes of From Phenom to the Farm drop every other Tuesday. If you enjoyed this one, subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Go check out past interviews that are all evergreen. And if you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. Also, make sure you subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. Draft recap, signing tracker, undrafted free agents, all the good stuff is up. Tune into that. Plus, the trade deadline is coming up, so BA will be your source on all the prospect packages. And check out great stuff on other pods, future projections, and the 90th percentile plus the hot sheet pod coming at you every week with that let's talk to kayla lombardo all right joining in for today's episode from phenom to the farm she is the lead editor of softball america and a former two-time first team atlantic 10 performer at fordham university kayla lombardo kayla thank you so much for joining from phenom to the farm thanks for having me kyle i appreciate it I've been really looking forward to this, uh, doing you know doing something new on the show, and I'm I'm hoping to learn a ton on this episode. Um, like leading off, tell me about Softball America. What can folks check out at Softball America? Where can they learn more about the game? I think we all just like got to watch a a fairly thrilling Women's College World Series, although like ended up dominated by just a, a juggernaut. But uh, where folks who maybe caught on during this last Women's College World Series, what can they check out? So Softball America is kind of the hub for all things softball coverage. We cover the game from the youth level all the way through the Olympic level, the professional level, um, and everything in between. So we're posting stories daily on different parts of the game, different athletes in the game. We tell stories that really have never been told before because there aren't a ton of outlets um, who tell these types of stories of women and girls in softball. So 
Um, lots of rankings, lots of cool feature stories, lots of fun stuff on social media. So if you if you're interested in softball, Softball America is the place to follow um, on all forms of social and come check us out on our website every day for a new story. All those links, we'll, we'll get them put in the show notes. Uh, so let's let's go all the way back to you growing up in Jersey. Really broad first question. When did you first fall in love with softball? So I actually fell in love with softball through my love for baseball. I grew up during probably one of the best times to be a Yankee fan. Um, fell in love with the New York Yankees from a very early age, uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Um, fell in love with just the bat and ball sports. And for me, there weren't a ton of opportunities to play baseball, um, even though I loved baseball. Um, so the opportunity for me was to play softball. And so I kind of tried to make the most of that opportunity. I had a really strong little league program in the town that I grew up in. So I went all the way through little league. We went to the little league softball world series when I was 13 years old, um, played travel ball, played high school ball, played college ball. So kind of started my love for what has been really the love of my life has been softball, but that started from um, my love for, for baseball. So that was definitely my, my first love. Well, we can't skip over playing in the softball little league world series. You need to walk me through that experience. And, you know, obviously we get to most, most non pandemic years, we get to watch what's going on at Williamsport, but what, what is the experience like going to going to Portland playing in that and the run up? I always think about like, how long a summer it is for those, those kids and parents. And like you raised by a single dad, like how, how much of your, did you have any other sort of anything else going on in that summer besides just softball? Cause I feel like it's just the longest summer ever. Nothing but softball ever from like the time I was born basically, but I loved it. Wouldn't have had it any other way. It was the best summer of my childhood. It was amazing. So we had lost the year before in the state finals and it was just our goal to win states. And so we got through districts, sectionals, made it to states, ran through and pretty much destroyed everybody. We were, you know, a really good team. We got to regionals and we were just like, all right, let's just have fun with this and see where it goes. We didn't give up a run in regionals. We, we won the region. We got to the world series. We went, Wait, five you didn't give up a run in regionals. We didn't give up a run in regionals. <laughs> yeah, we were, we were, crushing it. We had really good pitching, really strong hitting. Um, we got to the World Series. We went 5-0 and in pool play, um, made it all the way to the World Championship game at the Little League Softball World Series before we lost our first game of the summer. Um, so we came second place in the world, um, and it was really, really hard to lose. But um, just in retrospect, just like one of the coolest things I've ever done was doing that with my small town team, girls I grew up with, you know, went to pool parties with, and then we got to play on ESPN2 for two nights as 13-year-olds. So it was pretty exciting as a kid to do that. And my dad was one of the coaches too. So uh, it, was, it was amazing. You played in front of big crowds later in your, you know, high school state championship in college and regionals and stuff like that. When you're 13 years old and playing in front of that many people, is it is it easier or harder? Like, are you less aware or more aware? Because I, I always I, I think of like childhood, you're kind of just naive in general to most things going on. But is there is there more pressure when there's suddenly a zillion people watching or is does that ramp up as you get older? Oh, way less pressure for sure when you're young, because I, I was out there like introducing myself on national television as, hi, I'm Kayla Lombardo and I love Taco Bell. Like that was literally my 
awareness of the world was very little. 13 year old, you had great taste. <laughs> I, I am, I love Taco Bell. So it was literally just like, I'm playing softball with my friends. I'm going to just be who I am and there's no pressure. And I think we all felt that and we just played ball and had the best time of our lives. And um, that's kind of what it should be, right? Like it should be that way when you're 13. And even when you're 22 and playing ball, you kind of lose that perspective. But um, but yeah, I, I look back on that and think, wow, that was such a thrill to be to be doing that as a kid. I'm sure. Um, so you, you kind of mentioned that you you fell in love with softball because of baseball and you, you had these Yankees teams that just hurt my heart deeply in that era. Um, what, when it came to softball, like what were your goals, aspirations with the sport as you got into high school in terms of like representation growing up in that time, baseball, there wasn't a a shortage of players to, you know, to emulate or aspire to be, you know, I wanted to be a rod or something like that. Uh, who did you look like? What did you want to be in softball, and where where were there to look for inspirations as to this is the this is how far I can take the sport? So there wasn't a ton of representation, as you mentioned, on television at that time for softball. There just you would see, you know, one of the the final games of the women's college world series, or you know, the last few games, but you didn't have a ton of of softball on television. Really, the Little League Softball World Series was the thing I look forward to the most on TV every summer. I used to record it on a VHS tape and watch it <laughs> over and over again in my That room. is a throwback. Yeah, yeah, big time. But I, you know, a lot of little girls and young women wanted to date Derek Jeter, but I wanted to play like Derek Jeter. That was my focus. I wanted to play like him. I would I would uh, emulate his, his uh, jump throws at shortstop. I would try to pump my fist like him if I did something well. Um, So I really would watch those teams, those Yankee teams and learn how to compete. I would learn how to win from watching those teams play. And I would kind of bring that into my game as a young little girl, which is not very um, common or accepted or comfortable for people to see, you know, a young girl pumping her fist or being competitive or diving after balls, you know, that's not very acceptable (laughs) Uh, behavior for a little girl but I never felt like I couldn't do that and I carried that with me all the way through my career um and that's just really the only way I knew how to play what did the travel ball ecosystem look like or anything outside of school ball look like at that time I think we hear now both baseball and softball that things you know like quote-unquote daddy ball like things just get things get crazy things have gotten very professional there are a zillion travel teams what was what was that growing up for you like I was pretty lucky that I, I just missed kind of the the start of all of that craziness in terms of like the big money and travel ball. So my first experiences playing travel ball were pretty local experiences. So I played with a lot of girls from my town and surrounding towns. So I, um, when I finally got recruited, the team I got recruited from was still in my county. Um, so I was able to still play with girls I competed against in high school ball Um, But I didn't have to travel to California or Florida or Colorado in order to get recruited. I was able to get recruited right here in the Northeast. And fortunately, it wasn't um, super important to commit very early at that point. So I actually committed to Fordham September 1st of my senior year of high school. So I spent my whole junior summer kind of playing in front of coaches, deciding where I wanted to go, going to camps, doing things like that. And I was able to make a, an educated decision by the time I was 17 years old 
um, and after I had done my homework. So I, I'm fortunate that I had that opportunity and I didn't have to rush the process as so many kids do today. How did you evaluate that process? I feel like I asked this to every guest who, who grew up up north. Did you have any desire to move down south to warmer temperatures to, to play in a little heat? So that sounds great. But for me, my closeness with my dad was really important to me. And I wanted him to have the opportunity to, to watch me play college ball. So I wanted to be somewhere close-ish to home. Um, and I really wanted to go to a high academic school. That was like my goal my whole childhood was really to go to an Ivy League school to play softball. That didn't work out for me. Um, I didn't have strong enough test scores and it just didn't work out. So um, you know, what I thought was something that wasn't, you know, my goal ended up being the best thing for me to go to Fordham. Um, I was able to have a tremendous experience there. I met my husband there. Um, we won multiple championships, so really could not have been better. So I, I look back on my, my 17 year old self being so disappointed that this goal I set for myself didn't become my reality, but, um, in retrospect, it ended up being the best thing for me that didn't happen. Your senior year of high school, you hit 584 with nine bombs. You'd eventually turn in some good college seasons. It wasn't like you didn't perform in college, but is it is it more fun to be turning in a solid season in college or be like a video game character in high school? Definitely college. Yeah. <laughs> college is like where you realize like, okay, I can I can play with the big dogs. Because we we ended up we played like really tough schedules. We were a mid-major program, but my coach really threw us to the wolves, um, especially early on in the season. She believed that if we could compete against top 25 teams early on that we would be able to roll through our conference play and that ended up being a formula that worked for us so we'd get crushed early on in the season and then we'd come to a10 play and we would just destroy teams um, in our conference and especially in the conference tournament because we had built up so much toughness um, that other teams didn't have that experience that we had so we would struggle and I would struggle too, really. I was like a, a Mark Teixeira type of player where like I would really struggle early on in seasons and then I would like hit my stride during conference play and I would just feel like, you know, I could do, I could do anything. But um, having gone through that now and realizing that for me, it was more rewarding to go through the struggles and then come out and win a championship at the end than it was to just you know, roll through, be a big fish in a small pond. Um, I, I appreciate the experience of the struggle of college softball. I, I read in an interview before your senior year of college, you know, you were given like the usual, the team goals, things, Hey, we want to go all the way. We want to do this. And your team had, you know, one, you you're coming off multiple championships. You're coming off playing in regionals at, at a mid major, even when one where you're, you're making regionals consistently you've had that postseason experience how much belief is there how much like belief has to be there that like you can actually fulfill that kind of dreams and go all the way like and as someone who covers the sport can a mid-major can we have kind of a a cinderella type run of of getting a mid-major i looked at you know this year's the the finalists for this year's women's college world series bracket and they were a lot of the exact schools you thought they would be the the ones that if you just you know threw the big schools at a dartboard it's kind of what falls out like at a mid-major, what is there that kind of, is there truly that kind of belief and can that happen? There is. It depends on, you know, the type of coach that you play for. And for us, our coach always established 
hoped that she believed in us and that we, we could really be whatever we wanted to be and whoever we wanted to be. So that belief definitely carried over into, into the season. But I think last year in college softball, we saw James Madison be that Cinderella story um, where they made it to the semifinals of the women's college world series as a mid-major program. And, you know, that was really kind of the first time that a team like that um, from truly a mid-major program was able to get that far. Um, but I think, you know, that that's kind of an anomaly still for softball. I really do think like anything in life, it comes down to the support and the funding that you have for a program. So if you believe enough in a mid-major program to send them on these big trips, to go across country and play these better teams, play in these better preseason tournaments, you know, give them the resources to be able to recruit top flight players and have the facilities and the amenities that are needed in order to do that. Um, ultimately, it's not possible for a mid-major program unless there is an investment made. Um, the reason why these top schools perform is because there are investments made into their programs. Um, and, and that's really what it comes down to. It's the haves and the have-nots in terms of the money that is put into, into a program. So unless that happens for more mid-major programs, I don't see there being um, the same types of Cinderella stories for, you know, James Madison and for other mid-major programs going forward. And I think we've seen that from JMU with multiple sports, um, football, especially baseball too. Like the, if you get an athletic department that's willing to, to create winning teams, you, you get that return on investment usually. So um, as far as you get to Fordham, uh, fall of your freshman year. Another one of my favorite questions, like asking everybody, just adapting to that first fall. The first fall of college is weird, especially as an athlete. Like one, you're just learning how to be an adult, which is tough. Uh, you, you're in NYC, uh, and all your at bats are now against Division One pitchers. How how did you adapt to that first fall? Not very well. Um, I struggled quite a bit. Um, struggled mentally, physically, emotionally, in every way. I went from being like I said before, a big fish in a small pond. I was, you know, the best player on every team I had ever been on. And I was not the best player on Fordham softball team as a freshman um, or ever really. But it was, it was good for me to go through that because I realized that I could either jump ship at that point and decide to come home um, or go to a, a different school. But I believed in myself enough to know that if I put in the work to get better, then I could really contribute to this team and I could be somebody who, you know, my team could depend on. So that that freshman year um, was really hard for me to sit on the bench. I'm not a good bench player. Um, I, I just, I didn't do well from the bench. So that summer I went home and my dad and I worked really hard every day, you know, after he came home from work, we went to the field and I put in the work um, on my body. You know, I, I, lifted weights. I got stronger. I, I would run, you know, all the time I was just getting bigger, faster, stronger, better, um, and hungry too to play and to contribute. And we had lost that year in the, in the conference semifinals. And I remember leaving the field with my, my teammate who became my best friend and was actually the maid of honor in my wedding. And I said, this isn't going to happen again. We're not letting this happen again. And we didn't, we won uh, the next three conference championships after that. But that summer of my freshman year was really the most pivotal summer of my life in terms of making a choice to not let this be my reality. And I was able to get back to campus and work my butt off. And I started from, you know, being, I think I was like batting seventh or eighth in fall ball and playing right field. And like, I had never played before in right field, but I didn't care. I just wanted to be on the field and get an opportunity. And, and sure enough, 
you know, come that season, I was able to earn a starting spot and, you know, I found my place. I found my, my place on the field and, and that, that ability to overcome those obstacles really instilled a confidence in me that, you know, I still have today. I, I pull from that experience today and know that just because this is, you know, what my reality is now doesn't mean that's going to be that way forever. Um, so I kind of have that belief in myself and in my ability to, to put the work in to make things happen. Well, let's talk about that start, starting spot because you, you start at third base, you get shifted to third base. Y'all are very close to home plate in softball at third base. How how long does it take? Did it take for you going from catching to to get comfortable there? Uh, especially, I'm sure you know the first time you you get a hot shot hit at you is 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 there a more uncomfy position to get to get used to than third base? So yes, that was really scary for me. But also, I'm super slow. Like I'm not gifted at all with speed. So I would have to play really really far up in order to get really like the the lefty slappers out. I could not, I was not one of those like quick third baseman. I literally had a piano on my back all the time. So I was listening to I an was, interview you did and you're anti like slapping and bunting. So it, does that have anything <laughs> to do with it? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Maybe subconsciously it's because I'm slow AF so I can't get the ball, but um, <laughs> no, that's a different story. But yeah, third base was tough, especially at the college level, but I had a really good assistant coach um, who played third base for Virginia Tech and actually played. Her name is Reese Maraconda. She played in the Women's College World Series. So she played third and she was able to really help me figure out kind of the nuances of the position and just where to position myself in order to be able to get balls in the five, six hole in order to be able to, um, you know, get those pesky lefty slappers out. But I really loved it. And I, if there wasn't a necessity for me to be a catcher my senior year, I really wish I could have continued to play third my senior year because I really found my, my spot there. Um, and I made it my own and it was my comfort zone. So um, I love third base, still love third base. I think it's one of the most important positions on the field. And it's definitely not for the faint of heart in softball. No, no. Um, you mentioned after that, Freshman year, you you went home, you put the work in, you know, lifted weights, just got got better in general. How did you spend your summers in college? For college baseball players, for men, there are there is a summer league, there's a summer team for everyone at every level. There's a there's a million of them. How did you spend your summers, find places to get better? How much of an outlet is there for for college softball players? So fortunately, I'm very blessed to come from a place where there are 23 and under teams around. So I played 23 and under ball every summer I came home from college. So I was still playing, I'd say like 30 or 40 games in the summer and really loved it. Like truly had probably my best club ball experience playing the summers during college because there was no pressure and I was bigger and stronger and better than ever. So I was able to come home and just like drop tanks like on people I used to come I always maintain that summer ball is just the best time anyone could ever have it's the best it was probably like my favorite softball experience um other than winning conference championships in college but like oh I loved it it was the best time ever and so that's how I, I would practice with my dad but I would play on Wednesday nights we play a doubleheader and then we play tournaments every weekend throughout the summer so yeah it was it was the best 
bringing back to kind of the the aspirations and goals conversation of everything your first team a10 is a sophomore you turn an even better year as a junior if you'd been a baseball player there'd be oh hey you know drafts coming up might try to make a run at pro ball something like that try to play any ball um what were you planning career-wise with were you hoping to incorporate softball in some way to whatever you did when you were done with done playing I think subconsciously, yes, I was. I, I was in school to become a journalist. I um, That was always my goal, was to be a writer of some sort. I wanted to cover baseball um, at first, but then once I reached about late junior, early senior year, I realized I had a passion for women's sports and for covering women's sports. Um, so I kind of shifted my focus a little bit to that, although there really weren't a ton of outlets at that time to do that professionally. Um, so I was able to get an internship with Sports Illustrated my senior year after college, summer after my senior year. So I went into that internship kind of with this really naive, so to speak, drive about covering women's sports. So my job was to be uh, a news, I was doing a lot of breaking news for Sports Illustrated, but in my free time, I would pitch women's sports stories to the editors at SI, just thinking like, yeah, of course, like they're going to want me to write these stories. Meanwhile, I'm like, 22 years old, totally green, have no experience really doing this professionally, but I was just so mission focused and mission driven to get women coverage in sports because there really wasn't a ton of it. So I would write these stories in my free time and realize that I had a passion for telling stories that really hadn't been told before. So I did that. I I got a, a fellowship at SI after my internship. So I was there for a year and then I got an opportunity to work at a women's sports startup called XL Sports in New York City. I did that for a year and I got an opportunity to go to grad school and to coach softball um, at Lehigh. And I did that for for two years before I got the opportunity at Softball America, which is where I've been for now three years at BA and SA. Well, let's veer it back, though, to your senior year, because you got the opportunity to write stories about someone, you know, very, very closely. And that's yourself. Uh, You got Mm -hmm. to you got to write for ESPNW. I have that correct. The ESPN women's site. Um, And and you got to do a, a just a running diary essentially of your, your senior year life as a, a division one softball player. How did that, how did that come about that? Also, did you get any college credit for that? It seems just like a ton of work. And I I think about how much work you have to do as an athlete, as dealing with, I'm sure classes your senior year were not easy. Like how, how did you, how did you manage? Like you must be a time management pro. Yeah, that's kind of my thing. I, I've learned from playing softball my whole life how to manage my time. But no, I didn't get college credit for it. But I loved writing at that time, still do, but loved covering our team. It wasn't just about me. It was about our journey that we went on as a team. And I had known at that point my senior year that, you know, if history had repeated itself, we would struggle in the beginning. It would get better in the middle. And then we'd win at the end. That's typically how it went for you know my college career. So I knew that we'd have a good story to tell, that I'd have a good story to tell for my team. And back then, you really didn't have like as sophisticated social media as we do now. So I was taking GoPro videos. I was literally like capturing little snippets on my GoPro camera, editing the videos, and then attaching them to the stories I'd write, the little blogs I'd write um, to, to document the season every week. And it was just something fun that I did. Like I, I would, you know, kind of just manage my time and on the plane ride home from wherever we were, I would, you know, blog about what we had just experienced. And um, it was just a really fun way to kind of just have this record of our season. And um, 
you know, I look back on it now because I actually still have the domain um, for my my personal blog that I had back in college and I pay for it every year. And I'm like always contemplating, should I get rid of it? I don't know. Should I keep it? But the reason why I keep it is because I actually stumbled upon Ramona Shelburne, who writes for ESPN. I stumbled upon her blog from when she was in college back in the early 2000s. So we're talking like extreme early aughts of the Internet. Um, but <laughs> I stumbled upon her blog at Stanford and that was why I started my blog. So I realized by having this blog, it's called the kzoneblog.com, like just extremely. Just Everyone go bookmark green, that. But, <laughs> but like maybe some other college softball player could stumble upon that and that would lead her to want to, you know, do something similar. And then it really led to my career, you know? So it, it was something that was important for me back then for personal reasons but it jump-started my whole career um so and it jump-started Ramona's as well so I think it's important to have that as kind of like a you know a document of of my personal history and and maybe it'll help somebody else too I always end this show asking about like a nightmare bus ride from the minor leagues or something like that or I was going to ask you about a nightmare travel story and then I I was reading your old and you wrote about one you wrote about a uh, a nightmare southwest flight I don't know if you want to walk us through your, uh, you guys had a tough Southwest flight uh, on one of your, one of your articles. Oh yeah. Can you remind me? Cause I don't even remember. Oh, okay. I'm going to have, I'm going to have to bring it up. Hold on. I had to, I closed out all the tabs when my internet crashed. Give me a second. So one thing that I remember, I do remember a really tough travel day. It was this maybe a spring break, a spring break trip where our bus broke down and we had to then like hop on a different bus. That was something that happened. But I typically associate whether or not we had a good travel day with whether or not we won it or lost a series. So one that sticks out to me is my senior year. We went to St. Louis to play at SLU for a three game series and or maybe it was a doubleheader. But anyway, we were winning in both games and we lost and it was terrible. And I just remember that as being like the worst trip because we lost so I, I that's where my brain believe yeah i believe that was it I, i'm worried okay. i'm worried to test my <laughs> i was hyper hyper competitive so i uh had some some issues with losing still do yeah they're all still the, your your entire run of articles are still on uh still on espn for for a fun uh fun little wow. little memory yeah. at parker our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to, you mentioned you, you went back to catcher as a senior. I, that, that gap in playing it, you, you spend two years at third base, you caught in high school, but how much of a, 
a learning curve is there getting back to that as a senior and kind of the responsibility that a, a senior college catcher where you already expect a catcher is expected to be field general pitcher, psychiatrist, all of the above, um, especially as a senior, especially as a three-year starter, how picking up the learning curve and especially going from like high school catcher to college catcher as a senior, like how much, how steep is that learning curve? How much stuff do you have to stack on and how rapid was that? Did that adjustment have to be when you're moving from a different position into catching? It was really hard for me. Yeah. I was just because I was a good catcher in high school. Didn't mean that I was a good catcher in college. I I struggled. I struggled quite a bit. Um, And I talk about pitchers needing a psychiatrist. I needed a psychiatrist. So I wasn't the best person, you know, to be, helping our pitchers when I was the one who, who needed help um, just as much and actually more. I, you know, I, I don't talk about this very often, but I feel like it's important um, just in case somebody is going through this, who's listening, but I actually developed the yips my senior year um, while catching. And it was at the very end of my, my senior season. So um, it kind of was the thing that ended my career. Um, and it was a real, real struggle for me. And I think if I had been at third base, I don't know if that would have happened. Um, but because I was involved in, in every play, it really manifested itself um, in such a way that was just unmanageable at the end. And I had to kind of switch to the DP position. And, um, you know, I, I was fortunate enough not to have it happen early in the season. It happened at the very end. So it was just, you know, a handful of games that it impacted me, but it impacted me in a big way. And I think it was the culmination of just everything, the, the end of my career, you know, managing, you know, a pitching staff, adjusting to a different position, figuring out who is my, what is my identity outside of softball? Who am I out of softball? So I went through that and um, it was a really tough thing to go through, but I also think that having gone through that, you know, I've helped a couple of people since then who I've coached who have gone through similar things. And I know that, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the hardest things in all of sports to go through. So I, I have a ton of empathy for, for people who experience it. Talking about the figuring out who you are outside of softball. Um, there are obviously just fewer professional opportunities for softball players than there are for baseball players. Like there are a lot of you know, a lot of guys who are going to finish up their college season, go play professionally or go do something like that. But like me personally, like I was someone who I knew whenever my last college game was, I knew it was going to be the last time I ever played baseball at any level. Did not have that kind of talent to do anything more than that. When you're you, most of your teammates and in college softball players now, how much when you start your senior season does that weigh on you of this is you've got to go out with a bang because there's just limited opportunities after and kind of what would your hope be? You know, I, I've got a I already told you I've got like a, a long standing like dreamless question for you for what you want from college softball, but um and, and kind of what would you what would you tell a player who's a senior when she's contemplating what am who am I outside of softball? What am I gonna be when this is all over? Yeah, I, I don't know if there are words to tell somebody how to feel at that time, because it is just a very disjointed feeling that you have when you're realizing that the end of something that is so important to you is coming, no matter whether you like it or not, it's coming. Um, and for me, it was more than just playing softball. It was, you know, how I had my, how I developed my confidence, how I, you know, felt good about myself, how I connected with my father, how I, you know, 
connected with my friends. Like it was, it was multifaceted for me. And so it felt like I was early. I was, it was a premature grieving of the loss of something that I had loved my whole life. And so, you know, that continued after college too. That was really hard for me. And I had to really figure out who I wanted to be and how I was going to channel all of the passion that I had for softball into this new life of mine. Um, so I, I don't have words to, to say to people who are about to go through that, but I guess I would just try to talk to them earlier than their senior year and try to, you know, speak into them as teenagers and say, this is not who you are. This is just something that you do. Um, and, and once you understand, the earlier you understand that, the better off you're going to be in your life. Um, just to have multiple interests, to have things that, you know, are not life-defining, but are just more experiences that you enjoy as a kid. Um, you know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse to be passionate about sports in a lot of ways. Absolutely. So, um, I just, I think the earlier people realize that it's just a thing, it's not the thing, um, the better off they'll be. Yeah. I think, I think you might be like me in this way. I'm kind of that cursed kind of person where like, there are people who are like, oh, I didn't know the good times were the good times until they were over. And like, I'm very much a live in the moment of like, oh no, I know this is great. And like, I'm, especially <laughs> during my senior year of college, like it'd be even like pregame or like in practice, like playing catch or throwing bullpens or something, I would have the conscious awareness of there's like a grim reaper hanging over this field and I'm not going to be able to do this forever. And Agreed. I wish I could have had a different mentality instead of in the moment, just being extremely sad. Like I was trying to soak it in, but there would just be the sadness of, I don't know how many bullpens I've left. Don't know how many times in the dugout I have left. Or just like, enjoy this and you'll be able to look on it fondly and you just cannot sweat that it is going to end because literally everything in life ends. I do the same thing with parenting now. It's like, man, I just wish I could like bottle this one single experience because in seven years, my kid is going to want to hang out with me. But it's, it's, it's the same kind of thing of you, you have to, you have to be able to enjoy it and not just worry about what the end is like. Yeah. It's so funny. You mentioned the Grim Reaper thing. I was always the kid that was like, this is our last first day of practice. This is our last lift. Like just stop. Like you don't have to make everything emotional, you know? And I made everything super emotional. I was hyper aware of the fact that this, you know, life wasn't really going to get better in softball for me. So, um, you know, that kind of stole, I think, some of the enjoyment of the moment. So I would go back and just be like, just chill out for a little bit and just don't make everything so big. Yeah. I, I want to let you clear out and just have a moment to talk about your dad as a as a softball parent, as a parent in general. Seems like a great sports parent. Your last uh, your last entry for ESPN Women is kind of chronicling. It's it's about your season ending. You guys get get bounced at regionals after you know making a really good run at it, knocking out the host. Um, but it's, it's more about your relationship with your dad and how far, you know, how he got you to the heights that you reached in softball and are still, still reaching in softball as far as your coverage. So I, I want to just give you a moment to talk about the impact that your dad has had on you. Yeah. My dad has been a really important person in my life and he really was the person who's, who was with me my whole softball career. Um, every game, he never missed a game throughout my uh, youth years and came to most of my college games as well. And we were able to, to have, you know, the best times of our lives together on and off the field. So 
yeah, it's been cool to, to watch that relationship evolve, you know, since college, since softball. And now it's more of like, Hey, did you see, you know, Jocelyn Allo hit more home runs and, Oh, what are you doing? You know, covering this person, that person. And so it's, it's cool that we're both still in the game and we still love the game. And, you know, I coach, I coach little girls now on Saturday mornings and, he sometimes comes and helps me. And so it's cool to, to have that connection still and to have the game be at the center of, of our relationship still. I want to talk about coaching because you finished up softball. You do, you're coaching, you know, coaching little girls now, but you do that. You do coach at Lehigh, you coach at the division one level. I need to know what the most frustrating part about that was not being, you know, not being in the lineup instead, like helping set a lineup. And then what's the best thing about, about being on the coaching side and not being a player. So the hardest thing was wanting to just like at some point, like do it myself and be like, just give me the damn bat. Like I'll do it. (laughs) Or like, just get off the field. I got this, you know, like that was the type of player I was. And I think, you know, I really had to learn to step outside of myself and like give up myself. You know, I I was as an athlete, you're so self-focused because you're trying to get better to help your team and you're trying to achieve this new goal. But you don't have control as a coach. You, you just have to be a supporter. You have to be, you know, somebody who this person can lean on and you really just have to do your best to let things happen as they may. Um, so I enjoyed the challenge of coaching fellow high level thinkers and athletes. And, um, you know, I, I, I had a good time good time doing it. I actually prefer the little girls, I think, because they just want to play the game. Like they just love the game and there's no extra thought and there's no, you know, mental struggle yet. It's just, let me get to the field and run around the bases as many times as I can before I need to to drink some water because I'm going to pass out. Like that's what they care about. And so I just love watching their joy playing the game. They're just joyful when they do it and that just kind of takes me back to really what's important and it's just establishing that love for the game early on because the game can do so much for girls and for for women so it's just establishing that love early on that's really important and then it kind of grows from there I need to know though at your time as a coach at Lehigh was it was it cathartic or did it give you pleasure to be on the opposite side of telling people to run sprints or do workouts or something like that because as a player I think you always feel like your coach is getting the odd sense of satisfaction and just making you run until you're like struggling to breathe so no, I'm weird because I also like wanted to do it with them. I was like, why am I standing here? Like, I, I want to train too. You know, I missed that. So I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I had some stuff I had to work through. Like I like run half marathons now because I like to torture myself, you know, <laughs> but yeah, it was uh it was a hard, it was a hard adjustment for me to turn off the player and turn on the coach. Um, now I'm much better at it, but early on, earlier on, it was, it was hard for me to, to switch that mentality. If someone would have told you about a website called softball America, when you were like 15, what would your reaction have been? I would have been all over it. I would have been in love. I really would have been the thing that I would want, would have wanted to do when I got older. So the fact that something like that exists now and that I'm I'm doing it is really the dream that I didn't even know I had as a little girl because it didn't exist when I was a little girl. Um, an outlet just uh, exclusively devoted to covering women and girls in softball is like 
that would have been the coolest thing for me as, as a young kid um, to see. So the fact that it exists now for other young kids to see and to aspire to, and, you know, it's, it's not super mainstream yet for women to, to cover other women in sports, but I hope that someday it will be. And I think, you know, softball America is something that's laying the groundwork for, for other outlets to, to follow. How many more storylines are like, how much untapped potential is there in the world of stories around women's softball? I, I just think we haven't even scratched the surface yet. There, every story that we tell on softballamerica.com is a story that has not been told before, for the most part, unless it's like a story on, you know, Oklahoma or, or some of the more mainstream things. But these stories, women's stories in sports are gold they're they're really they're so unique from from the other the you know the professional sports and the men's sports and those stories are, are great as well but the the women's sports experience is a different one and and what women go through as athletes is different so the fact that you know we have all these stories um to tell and we have the platform to do it it is it is really exciting for me as an editor and as a writer to be able to to tackle those stories and you know i think that there's a huge opportunity here. And if investments are made in, in women's stories and in covering women's stories, I think, you know, we're going to see that there's, there's a huge potential for a return on that investment. Yeah. I, I mentioned this earlier and I laid this out for you before, uh, before we started recording, but kind of your, what is your dream list for the sport of softball over the past 10 years? What are the things that you would just love to see happen? Um, help grow both softball America, grow the sport, um, make it more accessible to fans of all ages, genders, areas of the country. I'd love to see softball covered like baseball is covered. And I'd love to see an investment made um, not only in, you know, athletes, but in journalists as well. And in the coverage of the sport right now, women's sports only get 4% of media coverage. And I think that we can do better than that, that women's sports are deserving of coverage and softball is absolutely deserving of coverage and i'd love for it to be um something that's mainstream something that's covered you know along with major league baseball or you know in the same breath as the nfl it's 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 worthy um so i think you know I, that would be my hope for the next 10 years is that we're able to to have more people who cover the sport and can make a living doing so um and of course, you know, I, I'd love to see softball, the, the, the women's college softball world series played in a stadium, like what's, you know, on the, the men's college world series on, on the, on the Omaha side, you know, you see a packed house. And I was, I was saying to my husband, you would see that in softball. If we had the capacity, if, if we had the stadium to hold enough people, um, we would see that the same exact thing because our sport doesn't have, um, enough seats to fill to fill the interest um, right now. So I think we need to build these stadiums bigger. We need to reimagine what coverage of softball, fandom and softball and the actual sport of softball can look like. Because right now I think we are confining ourselves to be baseball's little sister, but I think that softball is um, worthy of, of reimagining what it can look like. I know COVID kind of dampened this uh, along with everything else in the world, but pro softball and, um, the, the national pro fast pitch league. What do you, what do you think the next 10 years look like for professional softball? Cause again, we get these, we have these stars we see in the women's college world series where 
you know, what is next for them? Do you think there will be a, a viable pro outlet that we can get behind? I think softball deserves a, a commissioner that fans can rally around and hate just as much as we, we all rally around and hate Rob Manfred. So right now there are two professional softball outlets, but the WPF, which is the commissioner for that league is Lauren Chamberlain, who is one of the all-time great softball players. She graduated from Oklahoma, was the home run queen for Jocelyn Allo, is one of the best all-time in our sport. So we're not going to send me tweets to her then? We're not, we're not going to go. No, she's excellent. (laughs) No, no, no. I I will actually come after you if you send me a tweet at her. (laughs) So she's great. On the other side, there's Athletes Unlimited Softball, which is this new kind of fantasy sports-like professional softball league. Um, It's about to start its third season later this summer, um, which is another cool option for for women athletes, for softball players. Um, I think, like I said before, anything that is going to grow needs to have investment behind it. So really the only way for women's sports to be sustainable in general, for women's professional sports for these athletes is if there's an investment made in them and in their futures and in their careers. So um, Athletes Unlimited has done that. WPF is start just brand new. So we'll see how that unfolds. But I want to see that reimagined as well um, into contracts that are lucrative are, are not just, you know, you can just get by from these contracts, but you can actually, you know, make money to change, you know, your family generationally. Um, and I think that's possible someday. I just think it comes down to people betting on softball, betting on women and putting that investment where it needs to be. As we've seen with men's professional sports leagues, it has taken decades for them to become profitable in many instances. So I think we need to have the same long run focus of, okay, this is what it can be. And we're going to back it until it can get to that point. But unless there is that backing, it won't get to that point. So we need to kind of just see it um, not so much as what it can do for us right now, the bang for our buck in five years. That's just not going to, that's not, not possible. The standards are not, uh, are way too high for that to be the reality. But I think we need to have a long-term plan of what we see softball, professional softball becoming. Um, and I, until that investment is made, you know, I don't think it's possible for, for leagues to grow sustainably. What would you say to someone who maybe caught a little bit of the Women's College World Series and was like, this was fun to watch. I, I like this. I could see myself getting into more soft. Where are the on-ramps? Where can softball, where, where can we create more, more fans of softball and more viewership opportunities? Well, I think it's the, the whole chicken or the egg argument, right? So if you give people the opportunity to watch softball on linear networks that are easy to find, that are not, you know, buried in Peacock or buried in, you know, random websites that, you know, don't have great connection. If you put it on ESPN, if you put it on things that are accessible on ABC, even, which our first ever college softball game was broadcast on ABC this year, and the ratings were excellent you're going to give people the opportunity. It's so there's a saying in softball that you're either a softball fan or you don't know you're a softball fan yet because the game is undeniably good. It's, it's consumable. It's quick. It's extremely high level. So it's not a matter of whether the game is up to par. It's a matter of whether these network executives decide to put the game in front of fans for it to be easily consumable. So until that happens, you know, our, our sport's going to reach, reach a point where, you know, it can only go so far. So I think we've seen over the past couple of years in our game that 
college softball coverage on ESPN has been amazing. And the returns have been amazing too. The, the ratings have just been off the charts. So um, I think the more that that happens, um, the more fans of this game are going to continue to fall in love with it. And the numbers don't lie. So bringing it back to you, if you could give yourself a pep talk at 18, right as you enroll at Fordham, what would that pep talk look like? What would you tell that 18-year-old version of yourself? Um, just to speak out for what is important to you and to not be afraid of um, being whoever you want to be. You don't have to um, be anyone who you think will be pleasing to others because then you're doing yourself a disservice. So, you know, I, I would tell myself to to be unapologetically outspoken about the things that matter to me and and, you know, those things are, are women's sports. Those things are, are justice for for women and minorities and, um, you know, people who aren't as privileged in the world. Um, and I think that, you know, I would I would find my voice and use my voice as soon as possible. little rapid fire for you, and then I'll let you get out of here. Favorite college ballpark, college softball ballpark? Oklahoma. Favorite softball game you've ever been to, attended as a fan? Um... 17 innings, Florida and Oklahoma in the Women's College World Series in 2017. That would be hard to beat. Uh, best pitcher you ever faced? Um, Lacey Waldrop, Florida State. Favorite home run you've ever hit? Uh, A-10 semifinals, 2014, game tied. I hit the go-ahead home run to put us ahead and get us into the finals. Last one. I know from a previous interview that I listened to, you're a big pop culture fan. You were in high school when Jersey Shore came out in Jersey. Jersey Jersey Shore was was hugely important for me and my friends. Came out when I was in college. <laughs> what was the Jersey Shore experience like? If actually being being from Jersey, was it like an embarrassment thing? Was it embraced? I've I've just got that the first season was to me. I'm not sure television has gotten better since uh, since <laughs> season one of Jersey Shore. I wasn't embarrassed by it. I feel like I knew like all of them in terms of just the way they were. Like I went to school with plenty of people like them, but I also was too much of a goody two shoes in high school to like fully appreciate the Jersey Shore. So I think I have like recent appreciation for it. Like my husband and I watch it now if it's, you know, on reruns or whatever. So yeah, it's uh it's an experience to be from Jersey and to have experienced the Jersey Shore. It changed the world. Uh, it was something that every <laughs> every Thursday night, a bunch of us would pack into a dorm room and watch Jersey Shore. Wow. Oh, yeah. It was it was a big, big, big deal. Um, <laughs> what, a, what a time. What a time to be alive. Kayla Lombardo, that is all I've got for you. Thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Thanks, Kyle. And that's it for our episode with Kayla Lombardo. Big thanks to her for stopping by, sharing her career journey. If you enjoyed this episode, go check out Softball America. A lot of great stuff there from Kayla and Co. Also, make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We'll be back in two weeks with a great episode. Thanks for listening. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. 
To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com.